In the ongoing series of conversations we are having with translators from across the world, today we are talking to Dr. Maryam Rahmani, a writer and translator, about her first book-length translation of the contemporary Iranian cult hit novel, In Case of Emergency, originally written by Masa Mohebali in Farsi. It was named the best book of 2022 by The New Yorker. Rahmani's debut novel Liquid is forthcoming from Alonquin Books in 2025. Rahmani holds a PhD in comparative literature from UCLA and an MFA in fiction from Columbia University as well as degrees from Princeton and Oxford. Among her awards are the 2021 Henfield Prize, the Columbia MFA Science Honor in Fiction and a US Fulbright Fellowship. She has been honored with Penheim Translation Grant and shortlisted for the National Translation Award awarded by Alta. Welcome to our podcast Harshniyam Dr. Rahmani. Thank you for having me. Could you please introduce the novel In Case of Emergency to our listeners? Yes, In Case of Emergency is the English title for a novel that was published originally in Farsi in Iran in 2008 under the title Negaron Nabosh, which translates quite literally to don't worry. The novel was published in 2008 and it takes place in the course of one day in the city of Tehran. It's really this tight Aristotelian structure. And we have a first-person narrator named Shadi. We're kind of living in her head for the day. And she is a drug addict who wakes up in withdrawal on a day the city is falling apart because of major earthquakes. A lot of people are trying to flee the city and she's trying to get her next fix. And that's kind of what pushes us forward and creates the movement in the book. Now from the novel please read a paragraph or two which you found very difficult to translate. Yes, let me take actually to a moment of chaos in the book. And so just one moment. So this is actually as the middle of the book and at this point Shadi has left the house and she comes across these riots or protests bubbling across the city and here she is she just finds herself in the middle of one As soon as I hit the main drag two kids with afros slam into me on rollerblades then get lost in the crowd A slew of boys and bird-like girls are pouring out of Darban Street. The leader of the group walks backward pumping both fists overhead. All of them looked pissed and they're yelling at the top of their lungs. Some kid with a phone to his ear whispers something to the leader. The leader jumps onto the roof of a Peugeot and sticks his fists up again. Everyone holds their breath. What will he say? Listen up my friends, they've just surrendered Narmak Square. This city is ours. 
They yell and cheer and whistle and scream with all they've got. The boys lift the birds onto their shoulders. The birds stretch their arms overhead and take a breath. Whose city, our city, and you can't take it back? Whose city, our city, and we're here to paint it black? I'll just leave us with that. So you found... uh this paragraph uh, very challenging why is it so i did so the rhymes that we hear at the end it was quite difficult to translate that while keeping the meaning but also finding something sonically that kept that beat of the original and i also did want to create some rhyme because political slogans often rhyme that's you know helps people remember them it gives a kind of musicality that brings people together and so i actually came back to those phrases again and again over the course of a year or more and there also were some challenges actually to translating even the introductory prose of that chapter again in order to get the excitement and the energy across i needed the english to match that energy formally as well as convey the subject matter of what mohabali has written here you said uh, reading the original nigar and nabash made you the translator you never wanted to be Uh, when did you come across the book and uh, why did you choose to translate it i actually first came across this book just as a reader you know i was working at the time i had not yet entered a phd program and i frequently visit iran to see family and i bought the book on a, just a regular trip to the bookstore you know we all buy copies of things that kind of sit around and then we try to get to them at some point i moved a lot at that time in my life years later i was living you know on a different continent in a different city and i had entered a phd program and i was more formally studying modern and contemporary persian At that point my advisor and I were working very closely together for my comprehensive exams and she assigned me the book without our ever having discussed it. I read the book. Uh, I was really interested in how this book reflected a lot of political unrest in Iran and I looked up whether it had been translated and I found out that it had been translated into Italian as well as Swedish but the English translation did not exist and I was quite surprised because it seemed like a story and a scene that would be interesting for American readers, you know, anglophone readers in general across the world but also quite surprising as a depiction of Iran 
And so the project really just grew from there. That was the seed. You know, it took about six months after that point for me to get in touch with the author, get her permission and the authorization for the translation. It took a couple of years after that to find the American publisher that we went with Feminist Press. Uh, and, you know, about four more years later, four to five years later, the book came out. When I finished the book uh, reading, uh, one thing which really surprised me is that uh, Iran has uh, such a huge problem of uh, substance abuse. Yes, there is a public health crisis in Iran around addiction and substance abuse. You know, after the long war with Iraq in the 80s, there was a lot of substance abuse um, and a lot of trauma, actually, that veterans were trying to process. There also is a lot of, uh, you know, substance abuse, as we see in this novel, cuts across class. You know, this is an issue that the, you know, Iranian um doctors and, and the state and you know on so many different levels people are trying to deal with this and here I think what we see in this novel is quite interesting because we actually move away from this medicalized view of substance abuse and it begins to operate actually as a political tool of dissent so I will say I think that the addiction and the drug use in this novel is quite different and not reflective of the actual public health crisis, which is a real one. So you mean to say the way Shadi's character is written is a form of uh, registering the protest? Yes. The other thing which really struck me um, for the kind of content uh, the book has, how did it escape the ban from the authorities in Iran? Yes. So I, as I said, I was working from a copy I had just purchased at a bookstore. You know, that was the copy that I used uh, for the translation. And in order for any book to be published in Iran, the publisher applies for a license with the Ministry of Culture and they vet the book. So there is a censorship process that happens with every text. And they actually work quite closely with the author at that point to create a copy that they consider permissible and publishable. So this book did actually go through the censorship process. The book that you read is the censored version. So, you know, that's interesting to know because it gives you an idea of how much more radical it must have been in the intended version. I have, in fact, never seen that version. You know, I've only worked with the censored copy. Um, yes, but it has censorship as a dynamic process, really, in any country. We see works 
that get banned and then they're put back on the shelves. And then, you know, there's usually this kind of game of to and fro. And so with this book, it has been the same story. The book was published in censored form with a license to publish. It was incredibly popular at the time. It received a very prestigious award, the Koshiri Prize, was beloved by the literary community, celebrated for its gritty depiction of the vernacular and Farsi and of these youth cultures. And, you know, after that, though, there have been periods where it has been banned, not permitted a reprint, you know, as, as soon as they try to print another um, edition, another print run. But when the book came out in the U.S. in 2021 in English, it was available in Iran at that time as well. The Farsi title, Naigran Nabash, uh, what does it mean? So in Farsi, Nagaran Nabosh means don't worry. So the same way that in English you might use that phrase, oh, don't worry, we'll go in a few minutes, or, you know, don't worry, X or Y. Uh, what happened is when we were thinking about the title in English, it got a little bit sticky because in American English, at least, you typically use that phrase to introduce another clause. It doesn't appear by itself. If you're going to try to use it as a complete sentence, you would say, don't worry about it, or you might say, no worries. So we started to play with it so that it didn't feel like such an ellipses and, and was more self-contained. There was another issue, uh, sonically, it sounds much better in Farsi. There's a lot of consonants and, you know, sounds like a nice phrase and a kind of packaged phrase. So I wanted to come up with something that was doing that work in English in the same way that the Farsi is both evocative and sounds good to an Iranian listener. So the phrase in case of emergency came up as something that contains that element of a hint that something's going wrong, you know, that element of warning and danger, but is underplaying the danger. Yeah. Right. In case of emergency is a phrase that we see on signs in case, you know, at movie theaters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I, I liked and the publisher liked how there was this evocation of a kind of sarcasm and use of bureaucratic speak, but to turn it on its head. There's a sort of protest there. 
in your afterward uh, you said uh, you chose uh, to take the book to reader than uh, bringing the reader to the book mm, could you please explain so this is a dichotomy that's often spoken of in translation theory which is the issue of do you bring the reader to the text by forcing the reader to enter this foreign world and really understand its terms and perhaps even on the linguistic level make the english sound strange in ways that mark the foreignness of the original text or do you bring the text to the reader and translate it into an english that's quite readable in english sounds like something somebody could say in english so that's really the dichotomy that's been laid out historically in the field for me with this book i wanted to imitate its contribution to the history of literature and farsi and to honor that contribution so the book was celebrated in iran for how natural it sounded the dialogue reads like a screenplay you can actually imagine these characters saying exactly what's on the page and so for me it was important similarly when you read the english to feel like someone this young someone this character would actually use these words what kind of uh, changes uh, you had to make in the book and uh, how did you collaborate with the author yes so there were no changes in content there was a question of how crass to sound in english so in particular i paused early on in the translation when i was thinking about how somebody like shadi would speak in english i found that they probably would use pretty crass vocabulary and a lot of words like fuck or fucking you know just peppered in so that was a moment of pause for me because i wasn't sure whether i considered it more important to create that naturalism that i was just speaking of or to give some sense of the restraint on the text because of the censorship so i brought this conversation to the author and she just quite immediately knew that it was important for her to sound natural so that really was what informed my methodology as a translator was not only discerning based on my research and scholarship that this was this book's contribution to the original literature but also having a conversation with the living author 
and knowing what was important to her you met her uh, in tehran itself or uh, how was it yes so we were in touch at first via email and text we skyped before she gave me authorization to move forward with the project and eventually we were able to meet in person now about uh, shadi's uh, cross dressing so shadi starts out at home in the novel and then we see her getting dressed to leave the house and instead of reaching for a scarf like most women in iran do due to public hijab laws she puts on a skull cap and instead of a manteau which is kind of modest you know longer top that is required of women in public in iran she puts on a field jacket so the these masculine forms of dress are a form of political protest outside of the novel and reality even before the protests we saw erupting last fall there is a form of political protest in contemporary iran called mard pushi which literally that's man wearing so women who participate in this form of cross dressing are doing it not as a form of gender protest or gender identity as we might be used to in say a western context or even sometimes non-western context but as a distinct form of political protest against mandatory hijab so shadi we see does this quite successfully like you're saying she actually passes as a man throughout the novel yeah throughout the novel yes uh, and uh, you said uh, you had difficulty in coining a word for uh, her cross dressing yes there's a moment in the novel that actually comes from another character it's not shadi herself referring to the way she's dressing but another character refers to it in this kind of hodgepodge neologism he doesn't use the term mad pushy he doesn't you know and he actually asks whether she's trans or something he also doesn't read it politically and so this was a real challenge finding a word for the neologism he invents in farsi that carried the right tone and so in english i ended up using also a neologism came up with crisscrosser which was a way to indicate a hint at this idea of gender crossing but also the character isn't being quite respectful of that culture he does use a diminutive and so i wanted the word to carry a, a little bit of that tone 
the way the entire backdrop is created the earthquake and again uh, the character shadi um, i felt uh, metaphorically the writer was indicating the state the country is in yes the threat of the earthquake in this novel operates on two levels quite literally tehran is on a fault line and there is this threat lingering at the back of residents minds which is what happens when the next big earthquake hits at the same time as we read the novel we really do get a sense of the disruption that is created by the earthquake and allowed by the earthquake the disruption that's created by the earthquake becomes an opportunity for youth cultures like the one from the excerpt i read to rebel much more openly and it becomes an opportunity for these riots and so we do get the sense as readers that the threat of the earthquake that must have existed for these characters before it happens you know kind of the world before we stepped into the novel that that also has a kind of political resonance to it and that there's an idea that here's a society that might split apart at a moment's notice the book sold really well in iran and uh, mm, it won many awards uh, what do you attribute uh, the popularity of the novel to i think the realism and the audacity of the book are inspiring seeing cultures on the page seeing characters on the page that other writers either couldn't capture or didn't try to capture and i also think that the book is incredibly well crafted you know as a reader we have this huge sense of propulsion going through the day with shadi but we're also so close to her that we don't have to give up that intimacy with her we don't have to give up the interiority in experiencing these scenes on the street or in experiencing these explosive fights she has with her family or the family members have with each other you know so i think that it's a great work of literature and i think that it also resonated with folks as well yeah you develop uh, some kind of empathy for the principal character shadi though she is all over the place <laughs> yes now you have an upcoming book which you are writing not the translation a liquid yeah can you please tell us about it about the book yes my own novel liquid is coming out 
in 2025. And that book is about a queer adjunct professor in LA who decides to marry rich. And it kind of takes this game and uses it really as a satire and a a way to investigate gender and sexual norms in our society, as well as economic issues in the U.S. Um, You know, there's been for a while in Western philosophy and theory, this question of can you create art under capitalism? And this book takes that question quite seriously and tries to think about the effects of current economies on intellectual production. So you finished the first draft? Yes, the book is done. It was acquired as an entire novel, but I am doing some revisions with my editor now before it comes out. Now, finally, what does translation as an art mean to you? Working here in the U.S., I have to say I see translation as a form of social justice practice. I say that with humility. I think its impact is much softer than other forms of activism in which people are really on the ground. But I am interested in translating works that go counter to the typical American perception of Iran, uh, you know, really trying to break us out of the xenophobia and the provincialism of the American publishing industry and, uh, uh, you know, even basically just trying to open up the world in the small way that I can for readers. Wonderful. Through this podcast, uh, I hope this book, In Case of Emergency, reaches more people. Thank you. It's an honor, really, to see the book having a life outside of the U.S. So I'm so happy that you came across it. Thanks so much.